Cody's right here, so. Oh, he topped Whoa. it. He cold topped it. Okay. Ready to go. Yeah. Oh, he shanked it. Oh, look at that line, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy, is he on the sink. Welcome to the Bogey Boys podcast. You're joined here by Kevin and Mark, as always, and we've got a, a special guest, Incy Mehmet. Well, hey! Dance there coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. I thought you were going to start drum rolling then. Awesome. I, I, to be honest, I don't really know what I was doing, but I just thought <laughs> I'd be um, hype girl. I was going to say hype man, hype girl for the uh, intro. Thank you. Well, best intro so far, that for us. Yeah. I mean, are you going to edit some drum roll in there? Yeah, yeah we do, will yeah. do that. <laughs> Well, we'll see if you've got any people at Sky to edit for us. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just call my producer now. <laughs> How are we? Is okay? Yeah, really good. Uh, just arrived in Scotland this morning and had a little bit of blip in the middle of the day. I stupidly bought some, yeah, I thought I'd go quite healthy today and went for the smoked salmon and marmy beans and boiled eggs, you know, super healthy in a plate, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, make myself feel good. And flew to Scotland, arrived in my hotel, opened it up. It was a dodgy colour. You know, it was saying no on a plate straight away. But I just went for it with full confidence and unfortunately felt a little bit iffy afterwards. So I think I got a bit food poisoned and I won't, you know, explain it to you in further detail what really happened to that no. i wasn't feeling too great basically we know what happened you forgot all about the podcast and you've just made us a food poisoning story <laughs> Do you know what? i forgot about that already oh yeah so i took a nap afterwards and then um quickly looked at my phone and saw a message from you guys about 18 minutes after meant to be recording how unprofessional <laughs> no, so if someone's one minute late marks like oh they're gone they've left us they don't care about us i'm like let's just stay positive chill out how many times have you guys been stood up none but you were going to be yeah, our first one, one yeah. <laughs> what an honor <laughs> We, we've stood a few people up though sometimes we just forget all about it oh my god like with the American schedule and you know we're speaking to PJ Tour players and it's like midnight here we were on the drink and we were like oh my god. Jesus Christ we have to do an interview now <laughs> I mean considering you guys have logoed hats of the brand you know you seem very professional so that would be very unprofessional wouldn't it, it would. oh no yeah we are we are the most unprofessional podcast ever don't be worrying <laughs> <laughs> nice and chilled but no, back to you. So what we what we do is with the professional route, as Mark was saying, we just get an insight into the whole story of why golf, how golf, and just get all your backstory, really. Just being, as you said, nosy, nosy buggers, really. Interrogation. Here we go. 2.0. Oh, yeah. Just starting <laughs> from the very beginning and then see what, what was it that got you into the game of golf then? Yeah, so I was about, well, I would say four. My mum would argue four and a half that, you know, six months seems to be a really important thing to not leave out. Um, when I first picked up a golf club in New Modern Drive Range, it was one of those two flawed uh, ranges. And oh, yeah. so I started off on the top deck. And obviously, as a four year old with the floodlights, it's quite exciting stuff. And I could barely make contact with the ball. But regardless, because you're on the second floor, if you manage to make some sort of contact, it's got some hang time on it anyway. It's got a yeah. whole floor to go down. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got introduced to the game of golf. Um, I'm an only child. My mom's brought me up single-handedly. And I think her goal was to really just encourage me to do anything and everything. You know, you really get spoiled as an only kid, I guess, all the attention's on you. You've got no other choice. So golf was, I always say it's one of many. I played 
every sport you can imagine. I grew up playing four instruments as well. Um, so I was a really, really busy four-year-old. I almost needed my own PA to book something <laughs> else in. Like it was yeah. quite, it was quite something. Um, and yeah, as I got older, it was, everything was a natural progression. My mum was never super pushy and, um, yeah, she was always just incredibly supported and, um, she prioritized making sure that I had a great time, whatever I did, wherever I was. And, and that was it. She just let me do what I wanted to do. And I think, yeah, my mom's a, um, hairdresser back in the day, she used to cut hair on stage. She was a professor. She used to, she was really successful at one point. And I think it's kind of in the DNA, just wanting to succeed and wanting to uh, do something at the highest level. And I think naturally she kind of, I don't know if it's DNA, genetics or whatever, but it kind of got passed on to me. And for some reason, I seem to have an obsession of wanting to be really good at everything and anything I did. And yeah, like I said, golf wasn't anything special. I, I, you know, until I was about, uh, I think nine years old, I walked through the door, the apartment where we were living at. And I just turned around and said to my mom that I wanted to be a professional golfer. And up to that point, I wanted to be a magician. I wanted to be a policewoman. You know, I wanted to be anything and everything. But for some reason, when I said, mom, I want to be a golfer, that that felt real this time. Yeah. So you, where, where, sorry, where did the instruments go then once the, once say, the yeah. golf? Did you just bend the guitar? Did you? <laughs> no. So obviously I'm in a hotel room at the moment, but at home I have um, my keyboard. So I play the piano and um, I've got two guitars and I bought a ukulele when I was in Denmark recently. I can't really play it too well, but I'm learning basically. Nice. And I used to play the violin and the drums. So my godfather's dad uh, used to be the drummer for Sting and the police. Ah, and so when we went to his place, he had a studio in the back garden. And, and it's a pretty cool place to learn your first instrument, isn't it? Yeah. And um, he just taught me the classic one, two, three, four, one. And then you had the foot in and it, it was just so much fun. I remember all that stuff because yeah. like, golf in itself is a is a mental disaster sometimes, isn't it? So how do you remember to? Because it's my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it's because I just loved it so much. I'll never forget that time I um, went to the studio, and by all means, I'm not a good musician whatsoever. I'm a campfire um, musician, probably. I can just about records and kind of play anything, but fairly poorly. But yeah, I, I just love music. But people think I'm like a proper musician, but I'm really not. You, I wish I could sing is is the final piece. That's like the missing piece of the puzzle. I was going to say, it'd be good if you had your guitar there. You could have given us a little rendition or something. What, a serenade you both? Yeah. <laughs> you could have made us a new intro tune. Yeah. Yeah. One of them. <laughs> oh, gosh. Do you know what? Um, Josh Atman from the Sky Podcast, the host of the Sky Podcast, um, actually touched on it when we first met, I guess. And he said, oh, you should... 100% record the new Sky podcast uh, intro tune. And obviously I said yes, and it's, you know, two years later. <laughs> it's not happened. So sorry, Josh. <laughs> uh, we, we'll have to edit that bit out. We don't like to plug other podcasts on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Staying true to the brand. <laughs> Brilliant. So uh, obviously back to your golf career then. So how did that progress? You've made that decision and I want to be a professional golfer. So what then did you drop all your other things that you were doing and mainly focusing on your golf? Yes and no. So the kind of intensity of my golf upped big time in terms of I would spend every weekend at the club. 
So what I joined. Age we, what age are you here? Once you've said you made that sort of decision where you thought this is golf for me. Yeah. So I made the decision at around uh, when I was about nine years old and nine. joined the club when I was about 10. Yeah. So I was a junior at Royal Midsurrey, which is my home club. Always called it my second home uh, to date. And yeah, they, they were just amazing. You know, they have amazing junior programs. They have amazing girls and women programs as well. And I, I really think at that time, you know, if it wasn't for that, I might have not performed to the higher level because my mom was busy working all day and we didn't really have the cash. And of course, golf is a relatively expensive sport. And yeah. um, Roman Surrey's in Richmond. Yeah, it's quite an expensive area as well in, near London. And um, my mom definitely couldn't afford any of that. She used to, so as I got better and started playing in elite amateur events, and when we realised that I had some level of talent and I was able to compete some of the best girls in the country, my mum really struggled to afford all of that and would have to sell some for jewellery just to kind of pay for my entry fees and hotel fees. And, and we would take our little portable cooker and have our Korean barbecue by the window so the smoke alarm doesn't go off because we couldn't afford to um, go to the hotel restaurants, which are always a bit more upriced, aren't they? So, which I loved actually, and in reflection, I wouldn't have it any other way uh, because Korean barbecue is my favorite food. So we'd we'd obviously drive to all these venues within the country and we'd pack our rice cooker, the portable cooker, the meats and, you know, meat and rice, you can't go wrong with us. Some pak choy. Yeah. A couple of of Korean barbecue, (laughs) every Korean barbecue I've ever been to, they just bring a big roasted pak choy out as well. I'm like... Do you mean, have you tried kimchi before? Kimchi, yeah, the cabbage, yeah. The cabbage, yeah, Yeah. you know your stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so um, we'd have all of that and that's kind of how I got into competitive golf and uh, that's kind of, you know, me reflecting back on the early days of amateur golf, which was, it feels like a lifetime away now, actually. And then obviously it got better from there because you represented England and that, didn't you? So how did the, how did your golf game progress? So everything was a natural progression from me playing golf for fun and getting better to be representing my country, I guess. Yeah, so everything was a natural progression. And like I said, I, I used to go to the golf club on the weekends. My mum would give me a £20 note which is actually quite a lot of money to, to give a 10-year-old, really, isn't it? Yeah, and, uh, you got two pounds and said, yeah. change. <laughs> Cash <laughs> money, yo. <laughs> and um, yeah, I have a go at my head pro uh, for this all the time to this day. They used to charge one pound per bucket. Now it's all free at the golf club, thank God. It's the way it should be at all golf yeah. clubs, in my opinion. But they used to charge me one pound per basket. And that was junior rates as well. And I'd go through... Uh, 19 buckets in a day and how many, save, ball, how many balls are in a bucket are we talking a lot maybe like maybe like six, six, 60 or 90 like I, a I don't full know basket the, like like a full yeah, double yeah. basket yeah so I'd go through 19 of those in a day and then I'd save that one for the all important toasted tea cakes <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes because I because the consistency was there on a weekly basis sometimes got some jam too for free oh, there we go for free <laughs> but don't tell anyone <laughs> we told you you're not meant to mention food on this podcast charlie's already done that yeah <laughs> yeah so the point was um you know i got i was obsessed with hitting golf balls in the driving range and naturally my ball striking got better and i had that kind of classic junior golf swing where i started to get get really uh, fast and fiery hips and i learned to play with this like 20 yard hook 
wouldn't even consider it as a draw. It was definitely a hook mm-hmm. and it would just roll and chase down the fairways for like 50, 60 yards. Um, at least your hooks are in the fairway. <laughs> yeah, no, they definitely hit the fairway. I, I really struggled to miss the fairways in all honesty when I was a kid. It just got worse as I got older. But um, um, yeah, and then I played in all the club competitions and um, won a couple of those and then the county stuff. And then, like I said, everything was a natural progression from there. And then it got scouted by kind of the regional squads. And then there's that development through the girls and then the women's uh, and then GB stuff. Yeah. So that was a pretty cool experience as a as a kid to to be traveling the world, representing your country, and everyone at school just they almost didn't know my name. I was just a golfer. Yeah. <laughs> and even still to this day, you know, some of my girlfriends from school when they introduce me to other friends, they're like, "Hey, this is my friend. She's the golfer." So yeah. I'm like, "My name's Incy. Great to meet you." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you know what you're representing um, Great Britain there? Were you saying your mum being Korean? Could you have went the Korean way? And obviously the standards a lot heavier isn't it it seems now yeah I think the tactical move would have been to stick to representing the UK yeah, no disrespect you know we still have a great team but um obviously the Koreans are very dominant in the world of women's golf yeah. um I do have a Korean passport so it might have been possible nice. but you know it wouldn't have felt right because I'm born and bred in the UK with a Korean mother really yeah. so I uh, went to an English school I love my kind of Korean roots and my mum's brought me up in a Korean household and she, back in the day, she used to speak to me in Korean and if I responded in English, she'd ignore me. So that's how I learned to speak Korean as well. And my Korean's only getting worse too now. I've got like a proper English accent. So I get really shy when I speak to like real Koreans. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Look at you. What else do you know? Does it end there or? Um, oh, I, I've got, I'll have think of something else. Put, I, have got more. I have got more. I have got more. <laughs> yeah. So Annyeong's hello and bye all at the yeah. same time. Nice and easy. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll back him up. He's not made that up right now. Not made it up. No, he makes everything else up. So that's why I had to ask that. No, no. <laughs> everything else is trash, is it? Yeah. Normally. <laughs> hey, before we go back to your actual story, but see the, the, the influx of Korean golfers, like what would you put that down to? Is there any like reasons or just hard work I mean it all kicked off when uh Seri Park uh fired all those wins and majors back in the day and I think she really inspired a lot of Korean ladies um Mm. and that's when we started to see the dominance in the female Korean golfers really and I think the culture is a massive thing to take into consideration as well because Generally speaking, um, I mean, the technology in Korea is amazing. They've always been relatively advanced and ahead of the world in Japan and Korea. And the culture itself is very much an all or nothing culture. So I played a tournament um, out in Jeju Island, which is one of the islands in Korea, uh, when I was about 12. And that's really when I saw it in first hand. We had so many young girls quitting school at the age of 11 their whole families pretty much throwing all their money towards their coaching and, you know, playing and and competing. And that's a massive sacrifice, isn't it? At such a young age. And so I think it's a cultural thing. I mean, when, when Koreans practice in general, it's incredibly repetitive. Obviously golf is a repetitive sport. And I feel as though with my experience of traveling to the U S and, kind of the world with with my sort of level of competition 
I think it's encouraged to go out on the golf course a bit more and they have a lot of developed programs. Whereas in, in Korea, they literally spend like six hours on the driving range yeah. and three hours chipping and it's the same shot as well. There's, it's, it's strange because they're so good. And when you practice, you want to encourage practicing a load of variation, you know, from varied lies and adapting and, you know, opening up the club face, closing it. And I'm not saying that Koreans don't do that, but in general, they, I think what they're really good at is they're very good at the basics, like their foundations are phenomenal because they spend so much time on the same thing. They literally become robots. And if you look at the best female golfers, in all honesty, they're like robots. They can't miss a fairway. You know, Jin Yun Ko, um, I think she had a broke Tiger Woods' record of um, not dropping a shot in 114 holes or something. And that's because she's incredible tee to green. So, and she was world number one for... I think 107 weeks and now Nelly Cord has just gone up to number one now. So I, I think it's just ruthless, repetitive yeah. practice. No, it rings true that as well because there's two um, Koreans who've just joined the golf club where I play and I pulled his driver out and the middle of his yeah. face was cabbage then and I was just like, how come that? He's like, it was so expensive to get on the courses that he just hit battered balls on the driving range. Yes, that's another thing too. So Golfing, so obviously for us, golf is a relatively ex- um, expensive sport and it's, it still needs to go a long way. But in Korea, oh my goodness, it is so, so expensive. It's like four times the amount just to play around the golf. Wow. And so a lot of the golfers learn to play on their driving range, which is where that repetitive practice comes from. And I went on a winter training camp with Kyoju Kim, who's won the Evian um which is a major tournament. And I managed to spend a little bit of time with her and, and talk to her about kind of her past and her journey as a professional golfer. And it is literally just hard work. Yeah. And so they, we went, we trained in Thailand because it's a lot more affordable. Wow. Yeah. We have jumped off track a little bit there for your story, but it's a good, very good insight into like the whole Korean mindset and setup though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's incredible. Well, look back back onto you then. So you've got to a point where you, you're at the the elite in, in the women's amateur game, then, and then how was the transition to professional from there? Then, what age did you did you go pro? Yeah, so um, not many people actually know this, and I've made the decision to keep this quiet during my amateur days. In terms of, I was working with a um, World Cup winning rugby coach, and I didn't want anyone to know, and I'd never really had the opportunity to bring that up. Um, But in reflection, you know, that was a massive part of my life. So he basically put a massive team around me, created this incredible support system and treated me as a professional, as an amateur. So this is, this is probably for about the last two years of my amateur days before turning professional. And like I said, during that time, I just, I, I didn't want anyone to know the kind of support that I was getting. And so, like I said, I was, I was an amateur treated as a professional. And so when I went to Q school in December, 2016, uh, finished 12th, I think, or 14th and the top British player and straight away got my full ladies European tour card. And I felt so ready to, to turn pro. I remember playing that final round. I remember feeling nervous, but I remember feeling like I was in utter control as well. Um, 
And so when I turned pro, I, I very much felt ready for that. So I think being treated, you know, spoken to and treated like a professional as an amateur was a massive thing for me, which helped me in my development in turning professional. That's, that's some great advice for our listeners, though, like people who are getting ready to do the transition and turn professional. Would you say that that was one of the, one of the best things that could have happened for you then, obviously, if you've, if you've done so well in your first year as a pro? Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, like Matthew Wolf, for instance, Victor Hovland, Conor Morikawa, you know, these are the guys that came out of those US college systems. And personally, I didn't go to the States. I decided that school wasn't for me and I was a school dropout, um, left when I was about 16. But if you look at all these guys now coming out from the States, the college programs aren't a joke. You know, it's no. it's strict protocols. It's world leading stats. It's hard work. Yeah. Um, and they obviously have a great record now of leaving school and fitting into that professional stage. And yeah. I think what the American system is really good at now is, you know, and also in the States, they they play in front of crowds. And I think that's a great way to train young players for that kind of professional world if they want to turn pro. Yeah. And so when we saw Matthew Wolf um, winning his first PGA event, he didn't look very phased at all, I thought. No. And I think he was quite comfortable with that. Same with Victor Hovland and Colin Marikawa. Yeah. We've got some great female golfers, Linnea Strom, Olivia, um, Olivia Mahaffey. You know, same thing coming out of those American college systems, feeling in place, like comfortable in the American world stage. Yeah, ready to go. Morik Howard won that major, but didn't even come down the stretch. He didn't even like break a sweat, did he? Just driving, par driving onto the par four, just went down <laughs> like it, like he like he belonged there, didn't he? <laughs> I think that's the key word, just belonging. Yeah, I think you know, I and I, I think that's what the American system's really good at now. They practice in high pressure they perform in high pressure at such an early age you know they've got access to launch monitors you know some of the best coaches and equipment and all this is real professional yeah. it's not amateur stuff it's it's professional stuff at an amateur level yeah. and it very much pre prepares you for the professional world so i i really think you know if there are young listeners considering turning professional it doesn't matter to an extent, if you are going to go to the States or not, I think it's that mindset and how you, how you work, you know, the whole working smart thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the college systems are pretty impressive. And another thing, and a little tip that I was told uh, was to look out for the American uh, college football teams. Yeah. The better the football teams, the more backing, financial backing the whole college has. So yeah. the more likely your golf programs would be better funded too. Yeah, that's brilliant. You know, you said there was a World Cup rugby player when it was he like a, a sponsor, was it? Or was what was the connection there? Um, it was just an absolute fluke. He wasn't a sponsor. He he was more like a performance director. Nah. So, like I said, obviously he's, he's a World Cup winning coach and understood what it took to win and was obsessed with winning and just very much helped put a team of a players basically of coaches and nutritionists and um, trainers, everything. And um, I think it was just a very, it was an interesting team because, sorry, it was more of an interesting environment because I've never had anything like that before. And it was pretty intense. Yeah. And so that lasted for about three and a half years, about a year into my professional kind of career, but, you know, I learned a lot from it, high pressure, hard work, 
discipline, all that sort of stuff. It was it was intense, but good. Accountability as well, because you've you're performing sort of for other people as well, which can work both ways, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we'd set goals and targets as, as a team. You know, my short game was a massive weakness growing up and it probably still was, you know, in the older days growing up. And we set goals, for instance, we had the whole team coming around on this one day at this short game facility. The goal was to shoot, I think, three unders pass. It's basically like a high pressure situation, a skill test day. Yeah. And yeah. so the whole team would come just to add that much more pressure and if I didn't beat three under, that would be it. And I ended up shooting 11 under. So, <laughs> there you go. So, and then, yeah, the program continued basically. So it was pretty intense. <laughs> I was sure if they were going to all leave you if you didn't shoot three under. I don't know if they were just saying that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just you? Yeah, it was just me at the time. All yeah. right. Have they gone on to get other, other players and other things now? Or are they? Um. In all honesty, I, I, I don't like talking about it in detail. Right, okay. Um, right. But yeah, they've worked with other players in the past as well. But I just, I would prefer to keep that confidential for them. No worries, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah, no problem at all. So then how's your, how's your professional career progressed from there then? It was such a roller coaster. in all honesty. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look into the professional world, you see and hear the glitz and glam. And I think it's because you only see and hear about people doing well. Of course. And so, yeah, I had my fair share of success and really managed to enjoy that. And at the same time, I really struggled because life hit. And I think one another thing that people don't really realize is what happens off the golf course can heavily affect you on the golf course. You know, your approach to practice, your approach to the game. And unfortunately, just got unlucky with a few things off the golf course and it really affected me and, and I really struggled to cope with all that. And I started to see poor results. And I think it starts to become a bit of a vicious cycle where you're used to relative amounts of success and then you start failing hmm. and you try harder, you work harder, you add more pressure, you get more tense and you still don't get the results. If anything, you see, and, and, you, and you see those poor results in a different way now. And it's just all a bit of a downward spiral. And that's, in all honesty, what I experienced. And then from there, I lost my full tour card, which was really difficult. Um, I had to go back to tour school to try and earn that back. And I improved my category, but it still wasn't the full tour card that I had. So, yeah, I mean, the professional world has treated me great. But in all honesty, I found it really difficult. I started to play for the wrong reasons. when you, when you turn professional, you start to compete and play for a living, whereas before it was a hobby. Yeah. And so I started to add a lot of pressure um, towards myself. Uh, you know, I wanted to make my own gold and stop living off sponsorship money. Yeah. But in reality, you need all the help you can get because exactly. if you're going to compete, you need to aim for the stars. And in my opinion, have really good guidance, whether that's coaching or mentoring or whatever it is. And that all costs, you know, nothing's a freebie if you want to do it properly. And yeah, it, it, it was quite a roller coaster, which is where the media stuff came in afterwards um, because I just had an interest in giving it a go and I got invited back basically. And that's kind of where it all blossomed. Yeah. Well, how did it all come about from the actual, from the staff? 
Yeah, so it was it was very much when I was struggling, in all honesty, with my playing front. And I just wanted to give the media stuff a go. And I spoke to my manager, came up with the idea, you know, thought it's something I could do. I had no idea if I'd be able to do it. And so we organised the call and um, managed to get a seat in the pundit seat. Oh, my God, I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was the most awful experience ever. Um, we went through rehearsals and Sarah Stirk, who was presenting, bless her, was my presenter at the time. And she asked me the most simple question. This is all during rehearsal. I could not open my mouth. My heart was beating <laughs> out of my chest. My hands are shaking. Because it's such a, it's such a um, weird environment. You know, you're in a room sp- speaking to someone and you've got these big, you know, you've got four big cameras in your face and big lights as well. And thankfully at that time, I didn't have an earpiece in because then that would have been a whole different show altogether. But um, yeah, even with the most simple questions, I really struggled to answer it. And I remember feeling super nervous. And thankfully when we went live, I was able to spit a few words out, but I just remember feeling incredibly nervous. And I think at the time I thought it'd be a lot easier than than what it was, but it just takes those reps and kind of getting comfortable in front of the camera, which helps you get at ease with all those, all those things. Well, we, we had to go with doing li- a live podcast a couple of weeks back um, the, for the first time. We do a weekly show where we where we just review the golf and we do a few fun segments. And um, we spoke to a couple of, couple of guys who do some live golf, uh, part of a production content live golf. And they um, they said, how about doing a, a podcast live? So we went for it and what we, we, our nerves were shook. We usually do about <laughs> really? an hour, uh, yeah. an hour and 20. We just whizzed through it about 30 minutes. Blah, 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 goodbye. <laughs> Just try and get through it as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Just mention yeah. golf a few times and get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is tough. And, you know, a, a pause, for instance, feels like an eternity. Yeah. And you don't realize how fast you speak when you start to get nervous. Mm. So you want to feel like you're speaking in slow motion. Another thing that I noticed in the very beginning is, and I still do it sometimes now, you think about the next word you want to say. Yeah. And who does that? honestly it's like when we have a conversation i'm not thinking about the next word that's going to come out of my mouth i'm just talking as it is yeah but during live tv because you're incredibly conscious i'm genuinely thinking about the next thing i want to say and then you start to stumble a little bit at times so that's that's where the whole comfort thing kicks in the more comfortable you are the more relaxed you are and the more naturally you speak but initially if i oh my god it's horrible. <laughs> it's like now I've, I'm thinking about the conversation. I've got me questions and I'm trying to think of any Korean word that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Just let go. <laughs> think frozen. Sing, let it go. And then <laughs> what was I saying? So what, where are we up to? I forgot where we're up to now. We've run off track. Yeah. So you've obviously, you've, got it, you've got, you've gone into the media world and you do, you've done your first show with Sky. And then, so was that a difficult decision then for you to leave golf behind? Cause you've played it since what you were four and a half there, right? Mm. What age did you leave it? Early twenties? Was it mid twenties? Did you leave golf behind? So I'm 24 now. And I literally announced my retirement from competition about, I think a month ago or something, not that I'm counting. So it's, <laughs> it's very, raw very raw right now. Did you have and- to do that? No, I mean, no one told me to do that. And in fact, pretty much everyone was encouraging me not to. That's what I was going to ask. It was the people telling you not to do that, yeah? Yeah, and surprisingly, out of all people, uh, my boyfriend was probably the most challenging person. 
And I spent a real good month talking through it with, you know, the people closest to me and that have been kind of part of my life up till now. And yes, it was a massive decision because I've devoted my whole life to to being a competitor and trying to be the best golfer I can be. I had goals and ambitions of, you know, competing in the world stage and playing on the LPGA tour. And, you know, the LET was great, but you've got to aim for the stars, like I said, if you're going to compete. And for me, in all honesty, I'm 24 now. If I was to get onto the LPGA tour, the quickest I'd get on would probably be in two years. And that's like the absolute quickest with tour school and training and getting back into the groove of being a professional, proper professional. Mm. Um, I absolutely believe that it was doable. You know, I, I struck the ball well enough. I hit it long enough. I had the confidence um, early on that I had the qualities of what it took. So it wasn't like I didn't feel like I was capable enough. But at the same time, when I started to struggle a little bit, it was more the mental barrier, which became an obstacle. And it's hard to admit this, but I lost the love for for the game a little bit. And, and I I think that's an important thing to vocalize as hard as it is to say, it's just the truth. And so, yes, sometimes like all things to the top level, it's, it's never smooth sailing. I understand that you have bumps on the roads, you go up, you go down a bit. And when you fall, you have to get back up, all that sort of stuff. But I really lost the kind of passion and desire for why I fell in love with the game in the first place. Yeah. And so I just had to look at myself in the mirror and said, look, you're 24. The quickest you get on the LPGA is when you're 26 in two years time. Like any job, in my opinion, like, you know, I, I personally would want to leave something behind. I want to be remembered for something. And you can't do that in three, four years. You need to play on tour for a minimum 10 years. Yeah. And so then I'll be 36, 37 by then. And, you know, I, I come from a small family. I'm an only child with and my mom's brought me up single handedly. And, you know, ha- having that family in the future is something that's very important to me. And yeah. I just had to weigh out the pros and cons of what I wanted out of life. And I still believe that I could achieve some of my goals and ambitions that I had as a player still in the media and broadcasting world. And so after a real good month of weighing up the pros and cons and thinking through every possible scenario and getting majorly challenged throughout, which is hard. I was going to say, um, that's difficult. People, you've obviously trying to make that decision and people are pushing you away from it. Yeah, and the toughest bit was my mum. My mum my was, in. I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, we just always got to keep it real, but she was just in tears for about three, four days and she couldn't get a word out because... Both of us, we've devoted our whole lives towards it. And she was never pushy, like I said, but she was incredibly supportive. And I think as a single mother, her whole family's out in Korea. I'm her only child. You know, she really gave her absolutely everything towards me being a golfer. And so when I walked away from that, I think she felt quite empty. And she really struggled to deal with that. But again, it's just part of this journey that we're living and going through. and, And she absolutely supports me with the with the media front now it just took a few days to get over but like all things like all challenges you have to get through them and thankfully we did together and um yeah so that was about a month ago and because another thing that I I struggled with was trying to do two things really well and I felt like I was just average if not getting worse at both because they're essentially two full-time jobs yeah you know I might be away for three weeks and not touch a golf club and then play in a road series event and try to compete some uh, against some other players who, who are practicing and playing full time. I just thought, honestly, it's what's the point. So 
you got to let one go. Look at yourself in the mirror. Make a decision. So I did. Let it go like Frozen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back to Frozen again, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not to put, not to do any more pushing because you've obviously had enough of that over the last month or whatever. But like, I know you you're saying that you you want to compete in the road series, but did you have to retire? Could you couldn't you have just played and just because I know for a fact, twenty four, the love's going to come back for golf, especially if you're around the industry. That is going to that desire is going to come back one million percent. Absolutely, and and thankfully, you know, my love for the game has one hundred percent come back, and I think it's because my perspective on it's very different now. Yeah, and. In terms of me competing again, I guess the way I look at it now is that I'm not going to compete to make a living from it. So I'm still going to retain my professional status. I still have a tour card on the Ladies European Tour. I, I, could, be, I could be playing this week in the Ramco series, um, but I decided to work instead. Okay. And so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very much an all or nothing girl. And if I commit, I want to be 100% in. Yeah. And so now... This is my priority. It's something I never planned for, but now I, I really want to push on and develop my communication skills, you know, continue being a student of the game um, and, you know, be the best broadcaster I can be. Yeah. So it's, it's a new challenge. It's exciting because I feel like I can press that reset button and almost start again, write a new chapter. Yeah. And, you know, everything's in the unknown. Nothing's ever secure you've just got to do your best and just strive to be better and better and that's very much my goal no it's a great attitude to have definitely um, so obviously I know it's only fresh there a month ago but looking back then what what would you call your greatest moment then as a as a professional what's your fondest memories from there apart from being on this podcast obviously <laughs> <laughs> I think um my highlights as a professional golf is all those friendships that you get to um build on tour you know all the girls you, you definitely start to make some friends on tour you get to travel the world with them get up to no good sometimes um got a few stories which i probably can't share all that kind of stuff's really good fun and you know really cool to reflect back on and i guess at the time it, it's, it's it's a bit of a shame towards the end i lost my love for the game yeah. but in the beginning and for, for most of it, it's incredible to reflect back on, I guess, how I was making my living and, you know, just whacking a white ball around the field all around the world and eating loads of food around different countries, you know? Um, so I, I reckon, I know it's very cliche and a lot of golfers probably say that, but it, in all honesty, that was probably my highlight of being a professional golfer. Amazing stuff. I've seen you played with Gary Player, and, and uh, I've seen on your on your Instagram there, and obviously you've met Tiger Woods, and that's so. What's like, what? Who's the best best player you've ever played with around with? Oh, it's got to be Tiger Woods, <laughs> the goat. Yeah, so that was quite a surreal moment. That was when I was an amateur, actually. How oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, so I was sp- supported at the time when I was an amateur and a sponsor when I turned professional uh, for about six years by Nike, and. Um, I just got an email by the marketing director once asking if I'd be interested in spending the day with Tiger Woods. And I was like, are you serious? People even have to ask that question. They must have a laugh when they're typing them questions up. Things. Literally. I, I said, no the shortest, check my schedule. <laughs> I check my schedule. Yeah. Just contact my PA. We'll see what we can do. Might have to move a few things around, but um, no, I had the shortest reply ever. I literally asked him, 
the real Tiger Woods? Question mark. <laughs> I genuinely thought, I genuinely thought it would not be the real Tiger Woods and it'd be like a doppelganger or something. <laughs> so thankfully he replied and said, yep, the real Tiger Woods, you spend a night at St. Andrews. Um, I'm going to do this and that, you know, send you a load of stash. Um, it's an opportunity to really ask your questions uh, towards one of the best players in the world that's ever lived, stepped on this planet. And I was like, sick, I'm in. Yeah. So, and did you go around yeah. the old course with them? Did you? Yeah. So um, we started off in the gym. We had five spin bikes lined up. Mine was in the middle. Get in there. <laughs> and um, the one opposite was obviously for Tiger. And he walked in, already got given profiles of our names and where we come from. And it was just a touch of class. You know, he walked in and um, said, hey, Lauren, uh, I'm Tiger. Nice to meet you. Hey, Ben. I'm Tiger. Nice to meet you. Hey, NC. Oh, he just knows my name. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a surreal moment. I'm surprised it didn't collapse or something. But, you know, at that time, I, I think I must have been about maybe 16. I was pretty young. Yeah. Um, so that was very much a dream come true. So we just sweated it out. I've never pedaled so hard in my life. I was going to say, I bet that was the most competitive <laughs> spin class in the world. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never sweated and pedaled so hard in my life. Um, and then after that, we thankfully was allowed to shower get ready and uh, went to the driving range uh filmed a few segments here and there it was very much to promote tiger being back and the open yeah. um, at saint andrews and we played the last three holes at saint andrews on the old golf course um, as a six ball and then had like a private dining experience with no cameras and that's when i just gave him all my sash to sign um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so it was, it was quite the surreal day. Yeah, sounds it. Unbelievable. Sounds like the best day of my life if I'd done something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, in all honesty, I, I forget that that actually happened. And like on my laptop, my background is that moment we were at the table um, eating. Shock, food comes up again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was. it's very surreal and almost I don't feel like that really happened because, how, because of how incredible it was. But... Thankfully, I've got photo evidence that it was yeah. that it was real. <laughs> That's what I was going to say before. I was going to say if you've lost the love for the game of golf, and then you've got a guaranteed paycheck with Sky, it sort of makes the decision a lot easier, doesn't it? Um. So, I guess so. It, it would be cliche to say it's it's not for the money. I think the 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 initial issue for me was just losing the fire of my belly with the playing front. That was the problem. Yeah. And so I had to find or work out something. And I, th- I think if, if the media opportunity never came about, I would have still gone for the competitive, you know, the competing side of things yeah. because I would have had no other option. Yeah. And yeah. that maybe could have got me back on track because then you have that all or nothing fight or flight, yeah. mindset right yeah. but I think because the media stuff was there on the side it became quite a distraction and I saw it as an opportunity I enjoyed it I liked talking yeah. funny enough um, and like I said it just felt like a whole new challenge in itself and that kind of excited me and that's what I really missed that excitement and because I was excited and motivated to just improve it kind of like the golfer's mindset of trying to get better at you know improve on your putting or your driving or whatever it is 
I started to break down the whole media stuff and, and, you know, I just had that desire and excitement of just trying to get better again. And so that's, that's very much how I, you know, another reason why I made that decision. Amazing. What are the goals going forward then? That's a big question. Um, So I reckon, you know, just within the, within the media stuff, just get better and better and better. Whether, wherever that leads me, I don't know. And I think something that I've learned from the whole golfing thing is to not plan too far ahead. Yeah. I think it's great to have goals and aspirations, but I'm trying to be a little bit more relaxed now, enjoy it a lot more, soak it all in. And I think the more you get to enjoy it, the more you'll be excited, you know, continue to have great discussions and debates and chats with people within the industry. And, you know, another thing is you very much learn on the job. They throw you in the deep end, you learn on the job, you know, reaching out to you know people that you trust for advice that have done it for a long time, things like that would simply be my goal. And I believe that is what will help me to get better within this industry. Um, where it will take me, who knows? And, you know, I would love to be part of modernizing and inspiring the next generation, you know, showcasing the fun side of golf, because let's face it, it still has that kind of old, slow, elitist, unaccessible umbrella around it, doesn't it? It's getting better, but, you know, media to an extent have a responsibility and I'm, you know, I, I, I used to be sponsored by Nike and now I'm working with, I'm sponsored by Puma and that relationship in itself has been amazing because they're, very much forward thinking. Um, all their clothes are, are incredibly comfortable. And that's that's the direction that I want to go towards. And also, of course, you know, trying having that responsibility as a player or a media person, whatever, in building a much better environment for female golfers. You know, that's a massive goal for me because at the moment I'm in a heavily male-dominated environment. Yeah. And to be honest, it's all I've ever known. I've got no issues with that. And thankfully, I don't feel uncomfortable or anything because it's all I've ever known. But at the same time, it would be a, it definitely would be a goal and aspiration of mine to encourage more women to the game and young girls, and and just and just create or I'll be part of creating an environment where they feel comfortable to take up the game or give it a go. Because at the moment, not many women will feel comfortable in just giving it a go. And is is that kind of what you're doing with the the slings? Is it the sling bees um, work that you're <laughs> go doing? Go on, try and say it. Slingsby's, Slingsby's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a gin. <laughs> Slingsby. I should yeah. definitely know that then. <laughs> yes, the Slingsby gin. That's yeah, it. so the Slingsby Golf Academy has been That's phenomenal. It. It's been so much fun to be part of. And basically, Slingsby Gin is a gin company. Oh, and um, well. the rhubarb and they have the rhubarb on, yeah, I love it. And the red bottle. Have you tried it? I have had awesome. it, yeah, I love it, yeah. Yeah, they sent me some stuff. I haven't tried it yet. I'm trying to be quite good. But um, it looks really pretty anyway. But yeah, they've, they've got four ambassadors, four female representatives. And they are so, so cool. So much fun to work with. We've got Flurries from The X Factor, who I was obsessed with as a kid. Yeah, seems like she's I, got so much energy. Oh, she, and she still does. She's Honestly, she's incredible. I'm obsessed. I used to vote for her every single week. <laughs> um, we've got Natalie Pinkham, who's Formula One presenter. She's yeah. naturally super talented. Used to play hockey. Great hand-eye coordination. Um, Bella Saar, who's actually hosting some of the Euros this week. She's a Sky News reporter, presenter. And we've got Helen Skelton. Great, isn't she? Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. 
Um, and then we've got Helen Skelton, who used to be a Blue Peter presenter, who I used to watch as well growing up. So, you know, never in my life would I have thought I'd be working with these people within golf. And the whole purpose of the initiative is to have these four ladies who have never played golf before representing female participation. And I think collectively they've got a reach of over 2 million followers mm-hmm. and all, you know, all from different backgrounds and audiences and they very much learned the game of golf from their homes during lockdown they got sent nets putting mats balls clothes etc and in six months time all playing head to head to try and earn their spot at the bmw pro-am at wentworth wow yeah because things is one of the partners at the bmw yeah so it's just a fantastic initiative and like i said they're all incredible ladies and really been i'm not just saying this fantastic ambassadors for the game and the initiative it's been so much fun to work with them who's going to win then oh yeah. <laughs> you have the inside scoop. <laughs> so if i was to work through it um you know pinkham's traveling around the world you know working hard but she's super talented she's got a lot of speed in the swing and she can absolutely bomb it Floris is a natural athlete she's got an incredible amount of energy she can also strike the ball too and she's really enjoying it Helen Skelton, out of all people, I think has got the biggest bug for the golf and she's got two young boys at home, I think. And she's also, she's teaching them now. So because Helen is really loving the game and, you know, she was on SAS, Who Who Dares Wins. I think there is a competitor in her somewhere. Um, I would almost back my money on Helen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to go around all of them and then not give an answer. No. Well, like a- well yeah. Bella's also, also awesome. She's got a great short game. Yeah, really good around the green. Spent a lot of time putting. Um, I've not seen her hit an awful lot of balls. But yeah, if oh, I hope, I don't know if I should pick, but I've already picked too late. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. the first thing that's coming out as the advert for we're the gonna podcast. Ta- we're going to tag them tag all. Them no, all yeah. no, don't do that. <laughs> No, they've all got a great chance. They all have a great chance. They all have their own strengths and weaknesses. We we were talking to um, Sophie Walker a a couple of weeks ago on the pod, and we were saying that the the women's game, the growth in it, like you want to start seeing like Hindus of like six women or eight women in a buggy going around with champagne, playing around the golf like the way men do. Like there's no like middle 30s women just getting out there on the course, is there? No, and and that's that's why I want to tap into the women's golf, you know, things in the future, because I've been lucky enough to be part of lots of corporate events, and it's very easy for, you know, business or, or companies to say, "Hey, we're going to have a golf day. Who's in?" And all the men put their hand up and like say, "Yeah, I'm in." Or even with lad trips, play around at golf, yeah. and that just doesn't happen within women. So, I would love to tap into you know, female businesswomen who have an interest in golf and host golf days, take them away, bring a load of ladies with us and just have a great time. Yeah. Um, have the older ladies who have a load of, you know, cash to spend, who maybe don't have much time to live. They just want to have a great time and they, you know, um, go out on holidays and trips with them or even make it, create a theme of mothers and daughters and just create an environment where we can have a great time as ladies and maybe even Hindus, uh, like you said, I've never really kind of thought of that. 
you know, that would be awesome. I think, you know, lads' night, girls' nights are the best nights, aren't they? Yeah, so exactly, yeah. yeah exactly. Why not play golf during the day and have a great time all around the world? Well, we've got a little opportunity for you there because we've got the Bogey Boys Golf Day coming up and we've you can take a couple of four balls there and bring a load of women down. Like I think Charlie said she'd play and Amy Bolden said that she'd come down as well. So you could get the sticks back out, bring a few women down and we could uh, make it a bit of diversification in it. Yeah, cool. I'm in. Let's yeah. do it. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Another one to add to the list there, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Another one to add to the um, saying yes on the podcast list, but not actually confirming to actually come down list. What's that? I said, we, we've got a load of yeses face-to-face like this, but we've got actually no solid, I'll be there, yeses yet. Well, if it fits in the diary, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> we'll send you the, uh, all the details over on the, on Instagram. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So just before we finish, then obviously the Open next week. Um, mm. who, who, who have you got? Who, who are you back to win that? Um, if I was, oh, I I don't know if I should go for the obvious. So for me, I would pick John Rahm. Yeah, he would. He would. I pick him every week. <laughs> he would be. He would be the obvious pick, right? Because he's such a great wind player. Yeah. He's got a super short, compact swing, yeah. which I think is perfect for that sort of venue. Um. He's obviously in good form at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, after the birth of his son, he's talked about how his attitude's changed a bit, different perspective on life, and it's clearly working out pretty well for him. So, mm. you know, I, he's quite the obvious pick, but I would go John Rahm. Yeah. yeah. John Rahm, that's where I'm back on. You're back on Tommy, aren't you? Tommy or Garrick or Higo? Yeah. Oh, Garrick Higo, yeah. 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 So I, I met Garrick in. Um, in uh, the Canaries first, and I was blown away by how far he hits. He's so he's young. He's it up. Yeah, yeah. He's only like twenty-two years old, I think. South yeah, African, he's and he, yeah. yeah, really great feel around the greens. And again, just a flipping robot. Just so good. Makes it makes the game look so easy. Yeah, I think he was sixty odd under or something around that Tenerife swing. Like he won. It's like, just like ridiculous. Won twice, won twice and then we yeah, was. Six- Hits it a silly long distance as well. By the yeah. way, yeah, the lefty. Yeah, boss, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. That's my pick, anyway. Yeah. Good pick. I mean, he's on a roll. He just won a PGA Tour event not that long ago as well. Uh-huh. It's a joke. I mean, the bank account, the account, the accountant must be pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, Quincy, we do we appreciate you taking the time to come on and speak to us. It's been an amazing show. There. I've enjoyed great, this great one a insight, lot. Yeah. yeah. So obviously we'll keep in touch. Definitely. Um, come up for the golf day. It's gonna I think around the end of October. So if your schedule's clear, it'd be great. Yeah. Great to have you down here. To- it's around my birthday. That. Ah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Quick question yeah. from me, actually. Yeah. Um, what's the most scouse thing that you can teach me? The most scouse thing. Um, chicken. That, oh, chicken. Chicken. That's what you Pronounce it. And always say lad. <laughs> if someone asks you to do something, say, come ahead, lad. Come ahead, lad. Let's go and do that. Yeah. How's that? Say that again. Chicken. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. You'd fit in perfect round here. Hey, come, <laughs> say, say, come ahead. I've got to get off. <laughs> Come Ed, you got to get off. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very good, really, is it? <laughs> we'll work on it. Yeah, make sure if you do that on it on Sky this week, we'll give you an extra bonus points. When someone <laughs> asks you the question, say, "Come Ed, I've got to get off." <laughs> Come on, Ed, I've got to get off. <laughs>
<laughs> I want a second sandwich. <laughs> you doing the, um, are you, you, have, have I got this right? You're doing the on-course interviews this week. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, so here in Scotland um, for the Scottish Open at the Renaissance and doing the on-course commentary uh, this week. And then next week at the Open, um, I'm, well, A, it's my first major and B, I'm doing something I've never done before, which is like the world feed audio stuff, like kind of radio. Okay. Uh-huh. And then in the evening, doing some more work with Sky in the shot center um, on the tournament venue studio. So it's going to be a hectic, busy two weeks. Imagine. Yeah. We're gonna, we were going to try and get up there this week, um, either Thursday or Sunday. We, we, we know Ian Finnis quite well, you know, Tommy's mm. caddy. Mm-hmm. We're waiting on him for a couple of tickets. So then once we get them, we're going to, um, we're probably going to try and head up. Tickets like Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, also, if you if you guys are around, let drop me a line. We will do definitely yeah. million percent. Great. Yeah. Meet in person. That's, That's it. it. Definitely. Cool. Different ball game. <laughs> Socially distance, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll bring our masks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, guys. Thanks very much. Enjoy. Yeah, thanks, well, Thank you very much. Appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll catch up very soon. Good stuff. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.